0: Hi, I'm Roxanne Cody. Thank you for joining Just the Right Book podcast. Read to Grow, a Connecticut nonprofit literacy organization, and R.J. Julia recently had the distinct pleasure and honor to host an event for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The author and Sports Hall of Famer talked to Dan Patrick of The Dan Patrick Show about its new memoir, which is fantastic, by the way, called Coach Wooden and Me. And later in the episode, you'll hear from some of the folks at R.J. Joya about what's on their nightstand. But first, let's take a listen to our conversation with Kareem and Dan. Did
1: you get the mic- right microphone there?
2: I believe so. Okay, All right. It's the right height anyway.
1: By the way, in case you're wondering, I do have my Kareem Abdul-Jabbar socks on here I tonight. I like those. Yeah. I yes.
2: yeah.
1: don't think I've ever had day. another man's socks on, but you're the first, Kareem. <laughs>
2: You can get them at the NBA, folks.
1: Um, We've had an opportunity to talk a few times, and it always seems to come back to stories about Coach Wooden. So when you first put out this book, I wasn't surprised. I guess I was surprised it took you this long. What was it that almost, that clicked that said, now's the time?
2: Well, I I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I've been writing, and um, my... My relationship with Coach Wooden was, was so uh, meaningful in my life. I had to think back over it, you know, it, it was something that I had to look at and assess. And it took a while. It, it took at least six years, and then I had to decide if I wanted to share it. So that was why it took me, it took me so long to do this book. And then um, you try remembering something that happened uh, <laughs> 50 years ago in your life. Yeah. Wow. That's tough. But there had to be
1: something because you were an odd couple. Here you are, seven feet two, black man from Harlem, and a five foot ten inch white man from Indiana. And it worked. Why?
2: Well, uh, the thing that probably brought us together hoops, you know. I saw the way his teams played and liked the way they played. I thought I could fit into his system. So I was interested uh, in, in playing for. Uh, Coach Wooden. My junior and senior years in high school, uh, UCLA won the NC2A tournament. I thought that was pretty neat. And I liked the way uh, they played. They, they didn't rely on size and strength, they were about quickness and defensive pressure and agility. And uh, those things were things that I could do.
1: He was always teaching. Were you always listening?
2: Uh, I, yeah, I, I listened pretty closely. Because I, I like to win, and uh, the, the way that he got us ready for games uh, was very interesting. I enjoyed going to practice. It was a challenge, but uh, I, I felt I was uh, learning from the best. If you
1: read the – when you read the book, there's so many stories in there that – and there's small things that I never knew, and I grew up as a UCLA fan, and, and I've told this to Kareem. I was 12 years of age January 20th 1968 when Kareem made me cry he was Lou Alcindor at the time and he uh, had the audacity of losing a game to Elvin Hayes in the uh, in the uh, Astrodome yeah. and it was the game of the century and I remember watching that game and, and he had a patch over his eye uh, during the week he'd been in a hospital and he had a, a scratched cornea and he didn't play as well as we normally thought he would play. But that moment there, I just remember watching that and what UCLA was at the time. You were, you know, invincible, it felt like. But that was a good moment for college basketball, maybe not a good moment for you.
2: I I think it was good for college basketball. Um, At that point, um, UCLA had won three out of four NCAA tournaments, and and people were kind of tired of uh, UCLA winning They didn't know that we were going to turn that on its head, but um, you know, people were glad that uh, someone else was going to be the best team in the country. But uh, before the season was over, uh, we got a chance to play them in the NC2A tournament. We beat them by 32 points, and um, that was the second of uh, seven NC2A tournaments in a row for for UCLA.
1: Did you like being the villain, or did you feel like you guys were the villain?
2: I totally enjoyed being the best. I, I didn't think I was a villain. Uh, that, that I thought we were, you know, we, we weren't hostile. Well, we, we came in town and beat you, but <laughs> we, we did it with a smile on our faces.
1: Who gave Coach Woodenmore trouble? You or Bill Walton?
2: Bill Walton, definitely. <laughs> he, he never had to bail me out of jail. <laughs> Bill, Bill got arrested at a, at a peace rally and Coach wouldn't bail them out. <laughs> and when they were driving home, uh, Bill told Coach that um, he, he wanted him to come to the next demonstration. Coach told Bill, No, Bill, the way you deal with this is you write a letter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about a, a conflict of generations. That, that was major, man. How did he stay in touch, though, with his athletes? That you know, diverse backgrounds,
1: white, black, that, that he could connect with you, not only in basketball, but in
2: life? We just call him. We call him. He, and um, he wouldn't answer the phone. He would wait and listen, and he, his machine would start, and he'd say, Hey, coach, it's, it's, you had you identify yourself? He'd pick the phone up. He, he was good at that, you know, because everybody was calling him for interviews and would you come speak here and come speak there? And as he got older, he, it, it was harder on him. So uh, we were always glad that, you know, he was taking it easy and just enjoying his last days.
1: I remember um, I did an interview with Coach, and I went to his condo, and he wanted to test you to see if you really knew UCLA basketball. And I'm throwing out names of guys who came off the bench in 1971. I mean, I'm I'm throwing out, you know, Pete Turgovich, I'm throwing out as many names as possible. Uh, and, I, and, and he finally said, do you want something to eat? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't hungry, but I said, sure. He came in and made me a sandwich. And it's just a, a a very minimal condo. I mean, you're amazed that that's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And all these awards in there, his wife's nightgown was on the bed. He put it out on the bed. Never, like he had this ritual.
2: It never left there.
1: Yeah. So the, the nightgown never, was there on her bed. Yeah. But to go in there and just sort of absorb that
2: and... He didn't want to move from where he had spent the happiest years of his life with his wife. So he just stayed there.
1: How do you describe that relationship between those two?
2: Geez, they, they started uh, their romance when I, I think he was in junior high school. or high, uh, Junior high school high, right there about that point. And he never went out with anyone else, ever. That was his lady, and he was her guy, and that was that, and they were a pair.
1: They were married, what, 60
2: years? I, I have no idea. Longer long time. than I could count. <laughs> long time.
1: Yeah. What do you want people to really focus on in this book? Because we're going to take some questions from the audience, but what is it they should be looking for, listening to?
2: I think they should uh, get an idea of what Coach was really about, what, what he wanted to impart, the the moral lessons, and the uh, things that, that enabled us to have uh, a good moral character and uh, not become uh, bad people. That, that, that's really what he wanted. He wanted us to be good people and uh, he wanted us to be educated. His, his love of literature and sports and everything was all part of uh, what he wanted us to uh, emulate and uh, promote. He didn't
1: offer up books like Phil Jackson did with his players where he'd no. leave a book for somebody to read. No, no, coach didn't do that.
2: No, but he he, he had uh, he had the great advisors check on us, make sure we were going to class. They they reported to him, and uh, people who, who didn't go to class, uh, if they stopped going to class, uh, they stopped coming to practice.
1: But you said you went to UCLA to get a degree. That I that did. was that was important to your parents.
2: I, I got out in four years. You know, I. I would, yeah. So we're going to open it up
1: to some questions. And, uh
2: oh, there's the microphone right here at my left foot. <laughs> <laughs> and you can uh, come on down and uh, speak into the mic. There it is.
0: If you had to pick from among the thousands of moments, fine moments on the basketball court, which would you pick as the most important to you?
2: Well, for me, in my career, my best moments were in 1985 when, when we beat the Celtics. This is the first time the Lakers beat the Celtics ever. We were 0-8 at that point, playing the Celtics in world championship uh, competition. So uh, being able to be the, the MVP and, and lead my team and uh, celebrate a, a victory in Boston Garden was uh, very special for me. It the best moment of, of my basketball career.
1: I was covering that NBA Finals, and I remember going into your locker room, if you want to call it a locker room at the Boston Garden. <laughs> did, they had no hot water, I don't think, did they? They have no, no hook. I mean, it, wasn't, it was just a room, like a just, cement cell, I think, is right. what and Red Arbach would turn up the
2: heat in there, and then they'd, they'd open up the window, windows in the middle of winter to, to cool it off. It, they had a remember the sweat box game. Did that you was, hate the Celtics? No. I, I was a Celtic fan when I was a kid.
1: Oh, that's right. Bill Russell. Bill
2: Russell was my guy. I, I learned so much watching him. Um, I liked the way they played. And that really enabled me to be um, ready for Coach Wooden. I, I, I knew how the game, ha- how it could be played. We yes, have, a young person. We
0: have a young fan
2: here. Hi, how are you?
0: I'm going to just bend this for you. Who is your
2: favorite
1: teammate and why? Wow. Uh-oh. <laughs> Going to be stepping on toes here, Kareem. No,
2: no, we won't step on any toes. Uh, my my favorite teammate probably was the guy I, I played with my first two years in the league. His name was Greg Smith, and he was such a nice guy, and he, he kind of took me under his wing when I was a rookie, and uh, we became really good friends. We, we still talk. Uh, that was like... 47 years ago. So, um, Left-hander, number four? Number four. And uh, he was a unique player in that he gave us um, the speed that enabled us to run. But uh, at 6'4", he was playing uh, undersized, but he, he was competitive on, on the front line. I mean, he, he, he was rugged and he could run the court. And uh, we, we never won again without him.
1: And you went against Wilt Chamberlain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Wilt was the big man.
2: He was. 300 pounds of him.
1: But, but when you... <laughs> so what's that like first time you get on the court and you're looking at this guy that you idolized or looked up to? And
2: it was like... Uh, for me, it was like David and Goliath, you know. It's like, now i got to compete against this guy. I was, wow. But I did it, you know. And um, after the first couple of games, I had a tough time. And, you know, Wilt blocked a couple of my shots. But um, once The I sky figured, hook. Yeah, I, I realized that in order to, to shoot it on Wilt, I had to get contact with his body, and you know, make him move a little bit. If he, if he had to move, he really he couldn't move as quickly as I could. So I just make him move, and then I, I could get the shot off before he could get to it. Any talking going on? Like they talk no. about trash
1: talk now. Was there trash talk back then?
2: No. I, I and Coach Wooden told us to to respect our opponents and and not do that. Uh, I never did that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, First of all, uh, thank you for being a role model for me. I came up 17 years your junior in New York City and wrote a report in elementary school about you. Oh, that's great. Okay. Uh, Question. I read the Winter Within Pat Riley's book. Any contrast or comparisons between Pat Riley, whom you won four NBA rings with, and uh, Coach Wooden? Not really. Um, Coach Wooden started coaching immediately after he got out of uh, the service. He he started coaching. Pat um, didn't do that. Pat had to learn on on the fly. I think um, the similarities are they they were both dedicated, and um, Pat uh, just... His, his method had to do with uh, making us angry so that we'd take it out on the other teams. So
1: he'd like... He was it. tough to play for, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, he was, because he tried to get us pissed off in practice. We'd be mad at him, and then we'd take it out on the, on the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, coaching is... You know, it's... it's uh, You've got to know what you're doing.
1: Understanding personalities. Yeah,
2: that's what it is. And... Um, Coach Wooden said that uh, a really good coach is able to give correction without causing resentment. Pat caused a lot of resentment. (laughs) That's just how he did it. But he was only
1: four years, three years older than you? Three years, yeah. Yeah.
2: I was a freshman. He was a senior.
1: And then Kareem played against Pat Riley in high school. In high school, yes, we did. We
2: played Pat's. I I was a freshman. I was in the ninth grade. I was 14 years old. How tall were you? I was seven feet, I was 6'11, seven feet Yeah. In, in, ninth, in ninth grade. And we played past team, we went upstate, we left New York, went upstate to Schenectady, played past team. They fouled me out in the first half. <laughs> I got five fouls, uh, I got fouled a lot more than the five fouls that I was called for, but that's it. You know, we went back two years later and played. Past school, again, we scored 100 points, (laughs) I think. uh, Paybacks. It was, yeah. Yes.
3: Kareem, can you talk about the one-and-done rule in the NCAA right now and how it might have impacted you?
2: Yes. uh, I think the one-and-done rule stinks. Um, It's bad for schools. It's bad for the NBA. It's bad for the the guys that want to play basketball. Uh, I think uh, college is a great place for basketball players to – develop uh, to learn the game and develop a a work ethic and uh, they don't get to do that now and the quality of play has suffered in both college and the NBA because of that so uh, I'm against the um, the one-and-done rule I I think uh, you know there is a developmental league for young men who are not academically qualified to go to college but uh, the ones that are academically qualified should go. I, I think that's a great thing. I think college basketball is, is a great sport, and, um, you know, I, I would support it. I, the only thing that I, I would change would be the uh, entry agent to the NBA, and I would pay the college athletes so that uh, they would get some return on them putting their labor into making all that money that uh, enables college sports to be such a popular uh, pastime. Thank you. Uh, huge, huge fan,
3: thousands of questions, but the big one to me is do you think Coach Wooden could succeed today with, in light of the one and done, in light of society today and the way players are
2: today? I, I don't think Coach Wooden would have been able to coach in today's uh, atmosphere because he wanted players that wanted to learn something and that he required that we go to class, you know, right. I don't think Lonzo Ball went to too many classes. <laughs> In fact, I know he didn't. He probably didn't know where the classes were. It's true. I mean, he's gone. He's not on campus right now. He's waiting for the draft. So,
1: well, they only go to class for what four months, and then the second semester, they're not even. They don't not, even
2: care. It's a joke, man. It's 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 a travesty. What do they study? Um, Bacteriology for for six weeks? Come on. It's crazy. Thank you. Yes?
3: Do you have any advice for youth basketball players?
2: The the advice I have for for youth basketball players is Mm -hmm. learn the fundamentals of the game. Mm -hmm. Learn how to play offense. Learn how to defend, pass the ball. Do all the fundamentals of the game and go for it. I would tell you to go for it. Play a lot of basketball if that's what you want to do. One thing I would warn you, don't lose sight of academics. Make sure that uh, you open some books while you're at it. Thank but you for your it, question.
1: If you were going to do something else besides basketball, your dream would have been what? To write. Just to be a writer.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've always enjoyed writing.
1: See, I thought you'd be a jazz musician.
2: But I, I didn't like practicing. You know what it was. <laughs> the... the the concept of reading music, I thought I was supposed to be able to read music like I read the r- written page. It, it's not like that. You've got to practice and it's a thing where you're actually translating for your hands. I finally figured that out and I was able to read music a little bit, but it's too late now. But I, I, I would have liked to have played the piano or the bass for um, a jazz orchestra. I'd love
1: to have seen you on stage playing the bass.
2: That would have been fun, but... <laughs> Do they make a bass big enough or would you have to... No, no. um, Oh, the adjustment there? The adjustment is on the thing on the bottom. You can make it as long as you want. (laughs) Uh, Tells you
1: how much I know about (laughs) musical instruments. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Thank you. Hi, Kareem. How Uh, are you doing? Very well, very well. Uh, My question for you, because everyone knows about your basketball accomplishments, you were the best ever. Um, But but from a historical perspective, I think you're probably going to be more known, at at least to me, for your courage uh, that you showed throughout your life. Uh, so my question for you, uh, Mr. Abdul-Jabbar, is, number one, what was, in your opinion, the most courageous thing that you've done in your life? And number two, who do you consider the most courageous person that you've ever met?
2: Well, um, the most courageous person I, I, I ever met, uh, it would have to be uh, either uh, Dr. King or John Lewis. I, I, I met both of them, and uh, they, they are heroes of mine. The most courageous thing I ever did, uh, wow, I got married. (laughs) Me too. I have to say that. You know, you you take a risk when you get married, and congratulations to all you folks out there that are still married. (laughs) I am not, but um, it it was worth the, the trying. I have beautiful children, and I'm very thankful for their mother. So, what do you remember you about you. Dr. King? Um, just that uh, he was not going to be intimidated by people he knew wanted to kill him. And, you know, he, he went out on the, on the balcony to smoke a cigarette and got, got assassinated. But that, to me, he, he never, ever uh, um, was afraid that that would be his end. And uh, I, I remember hearing uh, John Lewis speak about crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And you know, these cowards on the other side were, were out to kill them, And he, they attacked them with the billy clubs and, and, and their feet and fists. And they broke his skull. But he, he, I heard him say, if you, if you do not risk your life and uh, risk your body, you are not for uh, nonviolent civil rights. And to hear him say that, uh, it just—it it was totally stirring w- within me. And uh, he's given what he has experienced. He's not angry. He's the most loving man and uh, giving um, person. And he, he, hes not angry. And he's—he's he's thankful that he achieved what he did. It's incredible. Thank you. We have You're some.
1: Welcome. We have some. there's uh, a familiar jersey. There. Oh, they're, they're a
2: well-dressed young man. Look at that. Oh
1: my goodness. <laughs> got goggles on.
2: Yeah, I like that. My question is, what can a player do to,
3: to have more teamwork?
2: What can a player do to have more teamwork? Yeah,
3: on a team. To be a better
2: team player? Yeah. Well, you got to, um, all right, do you, do you play all the time?
1: Yeah. All right, when
2: you handle the ball, you have to handle the ball without looking at it. And that, the reason for that is, while you are handling the ball, your teammates might get open. If you don't pass it to them when they're open, they're not going to like you, (laughs) okay? So that's what you got to realize. If you're going to be a good teammate, you got to understand what's going on all the time and help your teammates with the good pass. Or if they get beat on defense, you help them. Uh, Basketball's a game where five guys have to work together to help each other defeat the other team. So do all the things that you can. You know, learn all the skills, fundamentals, and remember, there there are four other guys out there with you, and you'll be a good teammate. Okay? Okay. All right. Good luck. How you doing? Hi. Right. Uh, it's actually a two part. Um, one, you scored thousands of points with that sky hook. Why well, you don't think nobody uses it now in today's NBA? And the second one, off the court, where do you find your inspiration to write? Well, people uh, use the sky hook now, or, or hook shots, mainly because they're not learning it. Uh, young kids learning the game want to shoot three-pointers. That's the most dominant shot in the game now. You know, it's worth more. Everybody wants to shoot that shot. So I think that's really uh, made an emphasis. That the perimeter game is a little bit more valuable than the game in the paint. So I, th- I think that's uh, one evolution in the game. And your second question, I'm sorry? Where do you find your inspiration to write? Where do I find my inspiration to write? Uh, uh, all of the books that I've read my whole life, you know, starting when I was a kid and all those kids' novels, I read Robert Louis Stevenson and Alexander Dumas and all those people. So uh, that, that really... Uh, I, it, it sparked my memory and it made me... My imagination, rather, not my memory. It sparked my imagination and made me want to write. And uh, I, I've had that... Uh, that bug since I was a kid.
1: What was the book that changed you?
2: Uh, the Black Arrow, Robert Louis Stevenson. Why? I mean, uh, it was about um, John Third, you know, uh, a horse, a horse, my king, good stuff. And uh, <laughs> it just made me think about history in terms of uh, the intrigue and everything, and, and I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed Alexander Dumas uh, for the same reason, you know, the, the Musketeers are fooling around with uh, Louis' uh, paramours and stuff—great stuff. It's an honor. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi. Hi.
0: Uh, what was like the? What are some? What's like the difference between
3: your NCAA career and your NBA career?
2: Well, my NC, my NC two A career—I had to go to school, and I had to play basketball, and I had to do both of those things. When you get to be a, an, an NBA player, you're a professional. All you do is play basketball, and you have to prepare yourself to, to be at your best just to play basketball. But uh, NC2A, you, you have more than one duty. You've you got to be a good student, and you, you're also going to play the sport that you play for the NC2A.
1: How many games you lose in college? Two? Two,
2: yeah. Houston and USC? USC. So your last.
1: Game, regular season, your senior year? We lost that. We lost?
2: Yeah. That's the most annoying one. You know, we, that, that one hurt. That, is that worse than the Houston loss? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Because it was USC? Because it was SC, our, our in-town rival. That one's, that one's stung. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your question. Did you and Coach talk, talk jazz? Did my, my coach uh, like jazz? But you know, he was a big band guy from the, um, from the 30s. But Coach Wooden did like jazz. Um, I I was surprised to hear that. Um, You know, that that story about Cab Calloway blew my mind. I I had no idea. Cab Calloway himself was a a basketball player. Cab Calloway had to choose between playing for the Globetrotters or being the vocalist in his sister's band. He ended up taking over his sister's band, and it became his band. But uh, Cab was a good basketball player. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, he was. He, he watched, in fact, when, when he passed away, he was watching the Knicks game. He, he passed away. Uh, he was still watching basketball. Not he, the
1: current Knicks, because that'll
2: kill you. <laughs> the only ones that didn't kill you were the, the ones that won the two uh, world championships in, in the 70s. The rest of the time, they'd stunk.
1: But I, I still think that UCLA had a, the, your style was a jazz-like feel. To the way UCLA played basketball, is that is that a fair assessment? To
2: you know why? Because it, in a jazz band, you have to react to the choices that the other people in the band make spontaneously, and that's what Coach Wooden taught us to do—to uh, react as a group and to complement each other and help each other. Um, just. By understanding what we need to be doing,
1: which is what jazz is.
2: And that's what jazz is. That, that timing and that understanding of, all right, the solo is going to go from the saxophone now over to the guy on trumpet, and they got it all timed out uh, ahead of time. That, that, that type of uh, coordination is uh, a great jazz band and it's also a great basketball team great, Thank you. You're We're going to do
0: three more questions.
2: tres Mas. <laughs> hey, Kareem How are you? pretty good uh so while you're growing up playing basketball uh was there anyone that you looked up to like tried to mimic your game after and also who do you do you think anyone after you has been like very much like you in your play style or anything well the guy I wanted to uh play like and win like was Bill Russell he he was the person that gave me the idea of how how to play the game Uh, I don't think anybody uh, else has played the game the way that I played it. Um, Not because they can't, but uh, they just don't have the hook shot or they don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So nobody else has has used it like that. The the one guy I I knew that uh, shot the hook shot um, was uh, Cliff Hagan, and he played for St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And more or less the same way I did, but he was a little bit further out, but he Go in the lane and shoot it over people. How far it.
1: can you shoot the sky hook? If
2: uh, I can shoot it from like fifteen, eighteen feet. So
1: foul line extended. Yeah, you'd be comfortable there.
2: Yeah, I, I could do it. Like the, you know, the game that everybody talks about, Magic's first game. I hit the one at at the buzzer to win it, and I, it was from the free throw line. So I came in a few minutes late. So I'm not sure if you explained this or not. You were late. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What would
1: Coach Wooden do?
2: I don't know. You're going to have to run up and down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I was just interested, at at what point in your career did you become interested in social justice
3: issues, and how did your on-the-court experiences complement your aspirations and actions outside of court?
2: I became interested in in social justice issues in 1955. I was 8 years old, and a, a, a young kid named Emmett Till was murdered in Mississippi. And I, I didn't. I couldn't understand it. My parents couldn't explain it to me. And I, I just wanted to know why, if I was a black person, I was hated. And um, I decided at that point I would find out. And that's what made me interested in the Civil Rights Movement. And I, wa- I watched it and wanted to participate in it and wanted to fight for my freedom.
1: Were you insulated in Harlem of not knowing how whites... Thought you know that certain groups would be react that way.
2: I'm smiling because you you make me think of something. Um, When you're in Harlem, uh, okay. uh, Dizzy Gillespie said he would rather be a lamppost in Harlem than governor of Georgia. Because you know in in Harlem the. The, the Jim Crow racism couldn't get to you. You yeah. know, there's too many people there that were going kind to of question you, and it, it, if it got crazy, um, I think the black people would have prevailed. So uh, That was a home court advantage. Yeah, that, so that was the one place in America where we had the home court advantage.
3: Hi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my son wanted to accompany me, but I'm just going to ask a, a brief question. He can ask a question to us. All okay. right. He may, he may decide. Thanks. I appreciate your coming here on behalf of Reed to Grow. That's wonderful, and uh, as much as I respect your career as a player, of course, I particularly admire your your work as a writer and an activist. And echo thank you very much. The, the earlier comment about your courage over the years, uh, going back to when you were with Muhammad Ali while you were still a college student during the the height of the Vietnam era. Uh, but also, could you, I, I saw a column you wrote in recent years about the controversy around not only athletes, but including athletes and issues of domestic violence, sexual assault. Uh, could you say a little something more about the importance of men and boys, not only athletes, but including athletes, respecting women and girls, and, and what more athletes can do to promote that kind of cause?
2: Well, a- athletes can do a whole lot to promote the cause of respecting women uh, by doing it themselves and uh, being mentors to people who, who don't who don't get it I think that's that's the real thing um, sometimes guys don't understand and uh, they have to be it has to be drilled in there unfortunately you know the, the hormones sometimes take over with, with with men and they do stupid things uh, and repeat those things so uh, we have to get to, the, to, to a place where uh, uh, parents and uh, father figures and, 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 and male mentors uh, teach our young men how, how to deal with women respectfully and, and in, in a wholesome way, and I, I think uh, you know, we'll, we will continue to improve things. Thank you. Thank you for your question.
0: Well in reading this book, was almost incidental to understanding what kind of man you are and your relationship with Coach Wooden. So I really want to thank you for that.
2: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: The conversation with Kareem and Dan was fascinating. I hope you got a sense of that. Kareem was incredibly thoughtful, and so many of the young people in the audience were just blown away by the opportunity to hear him and to ask him questions. Now it's time to hear from some of our customers at RJ Julia on what they're reading.
3: Well, give us your first name and tell us what is on your nightstand. My name is Sophie, and I am currently reading the P.S. I Love You series by Jenny Han. It's about a girl in, in a love triangle with her childhood and she is figuring out which one is right for her basically my name is Jana, and i'm reading the disappearances and i understand you work here so you have a little sneak preview is that correct yes that's true it comes out in um july right now it's about a um a girl whose mother dies and has to um go live with a family friend and um, finds out the town has these disappearances that happen to all the people in the town. So they lose their um, face in the mirror, they lose um, their sense of smell, they lose different things like that. Um, They're trying to figure out who caused this and who was the catalyst of this and why it happened.
0: My name is Robert Nazaro and I'm from Saugus, Massachusetts and we're visiting friends here in Clinton. And I'm reading Jonathan Culliman's new book, Hotel. I read Michael Conley, James Patterson, James Culliman, Faye Culliman. I've constantly got a book going. And I like reading a book rather than reading from the iPad or Kindle or something. I just like the feeling of holding a book.
1: My name is Brian. Um, on my nightstand right now is a lot. But uh, one at the top of the pile is Don Winslow's The Force. Uh, Don Winslow is a pretty prolific crime writer, so he writes a lot about cops and drug cartels and things like that. And The Force is his first book set in New York City, and it's about a special task force that is uh, dealing with sort of the the worst criminals um, in the city. So for anybody who likes cop books, this is uh, probably the big one this summer.
0: And you work here as well as Jana. So is that a sneak preview, that book?
1: Yeah, that's not out yet. I think it comes out uh, the middle or end of June. So it'll be here very soon.
3: Well, tell us your name and what is currently on your nightstand.
0: Heather Tebbett and what's on my nightstand. Oh, uh, the book by Gabor Ray It's Just My Face, Try Not to Stare. I just finished it. It's amazing. And the one I read before it is a recent um, publication, Stranger in the Woods, by Michael Finkel. So my tastes go all over the place. Uh, Beth and uh, Leanne
3: Moriarty's Big Little Lies. Have you seen the show? I have, but I waited until I'm almost done with the book. So I started to watch some of the uh, episodes, but not to the end yet. But the book's much better. <laughs> uh, my name is Haley Haggerty, and... One book that I'm currently looking forward to reading is Baron and Luthien by Tolkien, the new book that uh, just came out that was edited by Christopher Tolkien.
0: Well, give us your first name and what book
2: are you reading? Harriet. And my, the book that I just finished is by Paolo Giordano he's an Italian writer, uh, just
0: beautiful. It was called Like Family. So now I'm looking for his other two, because I think he's only
2: written three, although he's won many awards. But it's, it's a short novel that's very, very, um, it's very quiet and subtle, but it really grows on you. And uh, it's all about this family and their relationship to a woman who grows ill and dies. So you can't You can't tell much from that description, but everything lies in the voice and in the
0: emotional realizations. Thanks again to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Dan Patrick and to all the patrons of R.J. Joya for the great book recommendations. We're trying to get a better demographic handle on people like yourself who listen to Just the Right Book podcast. Thank you for listening. So if we could ask you to go to our website, bookpodcast.com, and click on the listener survey It should probably take about 30 seconds and would be really helpful to us. So thank you in advance for doing this. And if you haven't yet subscribed, please go to Just the Right Book Podcast on iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, rate and review us. Of course, rate and review us after you've listened to us. And please email your questions to info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, a division of CRN International. Thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keogh, our original music was created by Mark Berman.